Welcome to the Bethel Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Chris Fallotton. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit iBethel.org. I want to speak to you this morning about the gospel of power. When I told this story uh, a few times, and it's also, I think, in at least one of my books, I think it's in two of my books. And now I was a young man. Um, we, my, my father drowned when I was three years old, and my mother uh, remarried and, and divorced when I was 15, a, a very uh, violent man. And we uh, had a couple of years before my mom remarried, and in that time, it was a horrible, horrible time. We, um, we had a prowler trying to break into our house for nearly a year. Actually, they caught him about, the, I think it was 11 months Almost every night, um, he would uh, knock on our windows, try to get in our house. Uh, it was a pretty crazy time. Actually, the, um, the police actually came out and developed a strategy and set up a perimeter around our house for just months and months because it went on for so long. My mother, um, who's a very beautiful woman now, is an extremely beautiful woman at, uh, then, physically, obviously, uh, every way. She, um, we, we lived in a house with no air conditioning in the Bay Area where it gets really humid, so in an old, old house and kind of in the ghetto. So it was very difficult to lock the windows. Like people would say, why didn't you guys lock the windows? Why did, how did someone get in your house? Well, you lock the windows and it gets to be 90 degrees and 70% humidity and it's just impossible to live. So we, my, uh, the prowler had actually got in my mother's uh, bedroom one night and my mother slept with a shotgun and I slept with a 22. And uh, so she, she finally refused to sleep in the bedroom and we, we locked and screwed the, the, the uh, windows, those old kind of windows, screwed them shut. And my mother was sleeping on the couch and, with a shotgun. And, I, and uh, about three, three nights prior to the night I'm going to describe to you, a prowler actually got in my window. I stopped locking my window. We didn't have any, we didn't have any incidents for a few days. And I thought, well, it's so hot, I'm just going to leave the window open. And prowler got in my window about three, two, three o'clock in the morning. And uh, he was you know, trying to get into the house through my, my bedroom. And I woke up and saw him yelled. He jumped out the window while I, while I got in the rifle and took a shot at him. And it was just really, really, really hard times. And uh, so um, I laid awake that night, three nights later actually from that. And I, I said out loud, I wasn't raised to believe in a God. I, my mom prayed, prayed with us every night, so it's kind of incongruent. I ne- we never went to church. I didn't know if God was Buddha, if he's Muhammad, if Jesus, I honestly did not know. I didn't know if there really was a God. My grandfather, who's the most influential person in my life, was an atheist till the year before he was born. Someday I need to tell you that story. That's an amazing story. Before he died, what I said, born, born. <laughs> I caught the spirit of Jason. He prayed that hopelessness, that we'd be filled with hopelessness. So I'm like. Mm. We all knew. We all, we used our discernment and this. People do it when I'm preaching to them. Oh, poor, he didn't mean that. But I actually met before he was born again. And so my grandfather was an atheist. So anyway, so this night, uh, my, in my, my room, this is uh, three or four days after that incident, I'm just totally terrified. My mom was in the front room in a, not a very big house. I could hear her cry herself to sleep most nights, and so I was really struggling. And I, I laid awake at night in the middle of summer, very hot, and I, I said, if there's a God, I said out loud, if there's a God, if you heal my mother, I'll find out who you are and I'll serve you the rest of my life. 
an audible voice, and I just want to tell you before we start, before I go on, I've only heard the audible voice of God twice, and with both times I didn't know God. I heard an audible voice, and this audible voice said, my name is Jesus Christ, and you have what you requested. The next morning, my mom woke up. Now, my mother was covered. I forgot this part. My mother was covered in psoriasis. Um, the, the anxiety, of course, had intensified the psoriasis, and it was in her ears, and her, it was everywhere. It was just all over. It would flake out on her hair. It just uh, it was horrible. Next morning, my, my mom comes out from her room, from the, from the uh, front room, and out of the bathroom, and she's completely healed. The psoriasis is completely gone. Not. There was no one more shocked than me. And about, I think it was about a week later, if my recollection serves me, and the voice came back, only second time, only on the time I've ever heard the audible voice of God. He said, my name is Jesus Christ. You said that if I healed your mother, you'd serve me, and I'm waiting. True story. I didn't know anything about the Bible. Couldn't read. Someone gave me a Bible, couldn't read anyway. Read on the third grade level when I graduated from high school. So I started going from church to church all by myself. Nobody I knew went to church. Just started going church to church. And, and you know, here, and I, I made this statement before, and now I, I, I kind of want to recant it because I, in, in actuality, I didn't know what I was looking for. I probably went to some really great churches. I just didn't know what I was looking for. So I'd come in the back and I'd sit in the back and I'd, sometimes I'd stay for 10 or 15 minutes and sometimes I'd stay for the whole service. And in my mind, I'd say, the God who spoke to me isn't here. Now, in, in, you know, in fairness, it could, they could have been a great church. I, he, he didn't touch me there. So years, three years passed. Kathy, you know, Kathy, I met Kathy when she was 12. When she, we were engaged when she was 13. And we were on this journey together. You know, I was on this journey to find God, and she was, she was with me the whole time. And we ended up getting invited to the cell group, which was a, I, I didn't know there, there, I didn't know there was a Jesus movement. I wasn't attached to religion in any way, good, bad, or indifferent. I wouldn't know Jesus if he stood in front of me and ran over me. And so we end up in this, uh, and, but I had been going now for three years to different churches. Most Sundays I would be in, in some church, and I'm like, all right, I'm waiting Speak to me, talk to me. And so we go to this little Hallelujah Singers. It's not little, actually. It's in a house, so it's reduced by the size of the house. But there's at least 100 hippies in the house. I didn't know that the hippies were Jesus people. They looked like hippies. So, And we get in there, and they're all singing, you know, singing Hallelujah. Do you guys remember that song? I'm totally dating myself. And so we get in, the, we get in there. We, my friend said, we got to be early, or we have to stand outside the house and listen outside the windows. So we get in the house, it's totally packed, we're sitting in the front room just like this, and we start singing hallelujah, and some of those early songs that we sang, and, and man, it was intense in there. I'm like, oh, this, this is the f- sense I had. I'll say the word feeling, because I probably used it back then. This is the feeling I had when that voice spoke to me. And so we're singing those songs, and while we're singing, people, the hippies, they're standing up spontaneously without anybody directing them, and they would say quietly, not, not interrupting the worship, it was kind of unique how it was done, just quietly they'd stand up and say, Jesus delivered me from heroin, and sit down while we sang. Didn't break the worship at all. Someone else would stand up and say, Jesus healed my epilepsy. 
Someone else would say, Jesus healed me from schizophrenia. These people, like, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> After the worship, before the preaching, this young man named Ken Hughes, he's probably three or four years older than I, he's leading, on, uh, leading the worship with guitar. He said, does anyone in here want to receive Jesus? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Kathy put her hand up. We're like, that would be us. <laughs> us. We're like Abraham and Sarah. <laughs> Actually, we're like Abram and Sarai at the time, you know. We didn't know God yet. And so we prayed a little prayer, you know, just a simple prayer that we've heard so many times. And, and after, the, uh, after the, the evening, when the worship, he preached a real simple message, and after the head guy, again, his name Ken, came over to us, and we were sitting there, and, and um, while everybody was kind of milling around talking, and he said, you know, you received Jesus tonight. And we're like, yeah. And he said, you know, you're like a little baby. And the Bible says you're born again. And he's just really in simple terms. Again, never heard any scriptural terms. Just talked talk to us really simply about what happened to us. The Bible said we were born again. Showed us, read some scriptures to us and said, um, and you were born again and now you need a father. I'm like, all right. He brought two young men up who were probably three or four years older than us. He said, which one of these men do you want to be your father? <laughs> I just took the better looking one. And that was our entrance into the kingdom. And uh, that man's name was Art Kipperman. He later, 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 later married a woman named Kathy also. And they, become, they became our fathers. They weren't much older than us, but they knew Jesus for a lot longer than we did. And my, uh, our spiritual father was really into reading the Bible and praying. He'd say, you got to read your Bible, pray, and share your testimony every day. And, and it's like, all right, I mean, I don't know anything. All right, read the Bible every day. And so I read for hours every day. I read, for, I mean, you realize when I was saying I read for hours, that means, that means I read about two chapters. <laughs> so I couldn't read. And we were reading King James. Yeah, I learned to read, reading the King James Bible. That's the truth. Read the King James Bible for probably 10 years. And, you know, I'd get to a word like sanctification. I can't even sound out words, you know, sancti. And literally, I, the Holy Spirit literally taught me the Bible. And so those were, those were fun early days. We met the Johnsons four years later. And um, uh, 10 years ago, I buried Art Kipperman. Um, we did his funeral. It was very honoring. Very, it was our honor to do that. But I received Jesus because of an audible voice and then the power of God. And um, in that little group, it was funny, I didn't tell this part of the story in, in uh, first service, but in that little group, they, you know, they always like sang in, in the spirit. So they'd say, sing in the spirit. I'm like, da, 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 you know, just, just to fit in, you know, I don't, I don't know anything. I, I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> he must have heard us and said, <laughs> like, it was like second or third night. There's like time we went. He came over and he's like, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so you can have a prayer language. I thought I had one, you know. <laughs> oh, that's what you guys are doing, you know. So he prayed for Kathy and I. It was so funny. He prayed for Kathy and I and instantly Kathy got baptized in the Holy Spirit. She started speaking in tongues and, and you know, and we're going home that night. I'll never forget it. We're on the way home. And she's like, oh, that was so amazing. Oh, that was so fun. I'm, you know, nothing happened to me. For six or eight, seven, eight months, she would like, she'd like, watch when I pray. Yadaba, shadaba. 
Nothing happened to me for months. So anyway, Acts chapter one, verse six, Jesus is rose from the dead. He's gathered his disciples in Jerusalem. So he said to them, when they'd come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power. Everybody say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Did you notice he didn't say you'll go witnessing? He said, you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. You can't separate the gospel of the gospel from power. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you received power. You received dudamus, you received dynamite. You, to, when, you, when you take the, the power out of the gospel, you just have goss. <laughs> you have no pull. I don't know, that's probably not even scriptural, but whatever. <laughs> Sounds so good when I said it in my mind, you know? Romans 15, 17, Paul said this, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. For I have not presumed to speak anything except that what Christ has done through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by the word and deed, and in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Iconium, I have fully preached the gospel. Listen to this part. In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so from Jerusalem all around, I have fully preached the gospel. You can't fully preach the gospel without signs and wonders in the power of the Spirit. You can't separate power from the gospel. In, um, the, in, in Corinthians, Paul has an interesting problem in Corinthians. It's actually, you actually need to read First and Second Corinthians to really get the whole um, picture. But Paul has some people who have come in among the Corinthians, a church that he planted with Barnabas, and they began to tell the Corinthians that they are their apostle. We are your apostles. We are your fathers. And so Paul writes to them, and actually he writes them two letters about this. He writes other things in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, it's really a focus of the, of the book of 2 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians, he says this to them in chapter 4. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as beloved children. For if you were to have countless teachers in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ... I have become your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Isn't that interesting? We say, oh, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Hey, you know what? If I'm following Jesus, I better be following you. Or you're not a leader. Well, let me, okay. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, what reason? That I want you to imitate me. For this reason, I send you Timothy who's my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, that he remind you of my ways, which are in Christ. And as I teach everywhere in every church. Did you get that? How many of you know that when people follow you, they should be following Jesus? Because you're supposed to be following Jesus. And the goal is, if, you, if you're older in the Lord, is that you're just a little in front of them. <laughs> so when you say, follow me, you are saying follow Jesus because you're following Jesus. You say, imitate me, you are saying imitate Jesus because you're becoming what? Christ-like. How many, know, how many want to be Christ-like? How many realize that Christ is God? How many understand that you've been, 
you've been commissioned to be imitators of God. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. Are you trying to be like God? Yes. Those people are just trying to be like God. That's right. That's a great accusation to have because Jesus is God and I'm trying to be Christ-like. Therefore, I'm supposed to imitate God. If I'm imitating God and you're, you're imitating me, how many know that we're both imitating God? That's a good word. That's a good word. So Paul writes to them. Let me finish this. So he says to them, there's some among you, you might have many teachers. But you don't have many fathers. This is a response to people coming into the flock saying, hey, Paul's not your father. We're your father. He's like, they might be your teacher, but they are not your father. I'm your father. In fact, he goes on to 2 Corinthians and and says to them, hey, what's their credentials? Here's mine. I was beaten. I was shipwrecked. (laughs) It's like, like, I have a degree from Cambridge. No, no. I was beaten. I was shipwrecked. I was mugged. I was crucified, you know, it's like. So he says this about those teachers. Now some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming. And I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist of words, but power. The kingdom of God does not consist of words, but power. So Paul says, listen, I'm not going to check on their teaching. I'm gonna check on their power. Power, words without power is not the gospel. I understand that we, the, the reaction to that is, hey, hey, you can't base your, your, your life in God on an experience. Well, that's true, but how many of you know that if I read the Bible and don't have an experience, that's just religion. It's form without power, and form without power is just religion. Bono said, that religion is what happens when the spirit leaves the room. If reading the Bible doesn't lead you, to, lead you into an encounter with God, then what's the purpose? The goal isn't to learn the Bible. The goal is to get to know the author. Yeah. Hey, if just knowing the Bible got you a relationship with God, Pharisees would have rocked. Listen, I'm totally into reading. I listen, my, my mentor said, read the Bible every day. I've read the Bible nearly every single day since the day I was born again. I probably, I don't know, I've, I've probably missed it several hundred days, but I've tried to read every day for years and years and years, for 40, more than 40 years. I, I believe in the Bible. I believe if you have experiences that are, that are anti the Bible, that they're wrong experiences. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, are you with me? This is the foundation for everything I believe right here. But I'm saying, if you read this and it doesn't give you a relationship with the author, then I'm not sure what the point is. It's like reading the owner's manual of the car and never driving it. Oh, this is awesome. No, no, the goal is not to, un- not to get to know the manual. The goal is to get to drive the car. It's the spirit, it's the, it's the, it's the word and the spirit that equal truth. So Paul says, I'm going to check them out. Not their great doctrine. I'm going to see if they have any power. In Mark 16, 15, this is Jesus' commission to us. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I love that part, to all creation. How many know the gospel is not just for humans? He who believes and has been baptized shall be saved. 
He who's disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. They will drink deadly things, and it will not hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, these are the words of Jesus. People, people, some people are like, oh, I don't know if I believe, but I believe the words of Jesus. Well, Jesus said, okay, if you are you baptized, if you believe and are baptized, you're saved. How do I know if I'm saved? Well, these are the signs that'll follow you if you believe. Well, if I don't do signs and wonders, if I'm not saved. No, I don't want to take it that far. I just want to quote Jesus. Jesus said, if you believe, these things will follow you. He didn't say they'll follow the first century Christians. He didn't say they'll follow the apostles. He said they will follow people who believe. These are the signs of people who believe. You cannot separate signs and wonders from the gospel. It is, it is entrenched in the gospel. It is part of the gospel. You, you, if you come into the kingdom and you have anything wrong, he can make it right. It takes power to do that. If you're sick, the gospel says, Jesus heals the sick. If you're demonized, Jesus delivers you from demons. If you're blind, Jesus heals the blind. If you're lame, Jesus heals the lame. You get the idea. It doesn't matter what you have. The gospel has not just the philosophy to heal you, but the power to heal you. Jesus repeats the same message, same same basic message in John 14. He says... He said, if you don't believe me on account of my words, then believe me on account of my works, these miracles. And then he says this, and greater works shall you do. Now how many know he's in the middle of a healing crusade when he says this? (laughs) You see, you don't like my message? Okay, if you don't believe me because of my message, Look at the miracles I do. Have you ever seen these miracles? No, okay. Then believe me on account of the miracles. Oh, I don't, can't believe in an experience. Jesus told you to. I understand what we're reacting to when we're trying to be like politically correct and like, I just believe the Bible. I believe the Bible completely. And there are people who don't know the Bible and they don't believe the Bible, but when they see signs and wonders, they're like, Where'd you get that, Mike? Right here? The book you don't believe in. So Jesus said, and greater works shall you do when I go to be with the Father. These signs will follow those who believe. Greater works shall you do when I go to be with the Father. You cannot separate the power of God from the person of God. If you receive Jesus, how many receive Jesus? How many know there's Jesus Christ? There is another Jesus. There's a religious Jesus who has great philosophies and no ability to do anything. But you've received Jesus, the anointed one. He lives inside of you. It's incongruent that you would say, Jesus Christ moved inside of me, but I have good ideas, I have no power to do anything. Matthew 24, Jesus gives a warning, and it's been repeated, it's been shouted in our day. It's probably been shouted in every day, but I've only been alive in this day. He says in verse 23, if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is over there, don't believe him. 
For many false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as, to, as, so as to mislead, even if possible, the very elect. Now here's how some people read this. There'll be false Christs and false prophets. Do not believe them. For everyone in the last days who's false, for everyone who's a prophet in the last days is false. Every prophet in the last day is false. How many know Jesus didn't say that? He said, there'll be false prophets and false Christ. And he said, even elect people, even people who are pretty wise, some of those people will be deceived. Now, how many of you know, if in the last days, all the prophets were false, how many of you know, when, nobody's going to be deceived? But I have never seen anyone counterfeit pennies. I've never seen anybody counterfeit dollar bills. Why? You know, there's not enough bang for your buck. <laughs> it's too much work for too little influence. And what I'm getting at is this. The devil doesn't create anything. He just copies what God has. He can't stop the power of God, so he tries to duplicate the power of God, so you'll be confused of which is God and what is not. And he only duplicates, he only counterfeits things that are powerful in the kingdom. Can you imagine somebody's running off, you know, $100 bills? So you're like, okay, I, I, I don't want hundreds. Okay, they're, they're, look, oh, they're counterfeiting 20s too. I won't use 20s either. Oh, they're counterfeiting credit cards. I won't use those. Pretty soon, you're sitting in your home. You have no way to purchase anything because you have reduced yourself to, what, to a reaction of everyone else's bad stuff. Are you with me? I love this. Turn to Exodus chapter 7. I think for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell you this story because you know it well. In Exodus chapter 7, Moses, God, God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and here's what I want you to do. God, Pharaoh's, Moses is like, oh Lord, you know, he's not going to listen to me. You know, I grew up in that house. He's not going to listen to me. And, and, you know, who should I say sent me and tell him I am that I am? Well, that'll clear it up. I think, it, I think this is the funniest story. Moses is terrified. He says, who should I say sent me? Say, I am that I am. Okay. Thank you. And God says, listen, my name's not going to impress them, but my power is. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take Aaron with you. Okay. And when you get in front of Pharaoh, what I want you to do is I want you to have Aaron throw down Aaron's staff and Aaron's staff is going to turn into a snake. So they get before Pharaoh. This is the first sign, right? And they say, hey, you know, <laughs> I mean, imagine Moses is a little nervous. He doesn't talk too good. Hey, you need to let God's people go. Oh, Moses, get out of my face. Oh, Aaron, do your thing. Aaron throws down his staff and it becomes what? A snake. So, the, so immediately Pharaoh calls the magicians and the sorcerers in and says, hey, can you do that? And they throw down their staffs and they become snakes. I love this part of the snorry, story. Snorry. I know my mouth isn't working today. And Aaron's snake eats their snakes. I love that. Here's what the church does. Oh, the sorcerers use snakes. We can't use snakes. We can't use snakes. They're the devil. Well, they are unless they're not. And then you end up with sorcerer snakes everywhere and no big snake to eat it because you don't believe that God can use snakes. And let me ask you a question. 
Did Moses duplicate the miracles of the sorcerers or did the sorcerers duplicate the miracles of God? When we react, we're like, oh, we're not going to use that. Oh, they're using that too. We're not going to use that. We're not going to use that. And then the snakes have infested the church. The heresy hunters are kind of funny, you know. They remind me of what Harry Truman said. Harry said, you know what? If I, walked across the, if I walked across the river tomorrow, the headlines would read, Harry can't swim. <laughs> it's all perspective. And people ask you questions that they're not really questions. Do you guys believe in snakes? <laughs> Listen, there's no way to answer that right for someone who thinks that Harry can't swim. You, you understand what I'm getting at? That's not a question. Like, if you interact with those people, it's not, you understand? It's not a question. You guys believe you can pick up steadily things and it won't harm you? I know the way this gets spun. <laughs> the answer is yes, but when the person asks you, you want to say, well, you want to explain. There's no explaining that. But I'll tell you this, the devil only duplicates things that are powerful. If you stop believing in everything that that's the devil does, no, the devil duplicates. Yeah. Woo, rewind, edit that. <laughs> I know I can see it on YouTube now. <laughs> if you react to the things that the devil duplicates, you'll end up with only powerless pennies. And we'll just end up being nice Christians. Nice people. We're just nice people. Aren't they nice people? I wasn't born to be nice. I was, I was born to be a son of God. Daniel chapter 4. Again, I'll just tell you the story. Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. And in the dream, he saw this tree with these huge branches, this beautiful tree was covering the earth. And, and then some watchers, he called them, cut the tree down and just left a stump. And he's totally terrified. He, he doesn't know what the dream means, but he knows it has something to do with him. Don't you love it when God gives an unbeliever yeah. an experience that they know they have to find a believer <laughs> to figure it out? You're like, I don't even like that guy, you know, but he, yeah, I, I need to talk to him. And so he, he asks all, he, he invites all of his sorcerers, his magicians, his conjurers, did I say it right? All of those guys, he, he invites them and he tells them his dream and he says, hey, what's this mean? And they, none of them can, none of them can interpret the dream. And then he calls in Daniel. I love that Daniel's always last. And when he calls Daniel in, this, this is what he says to Daniel. So I gave orders to bring Daniel into my presence, all the wise men, I'm sorry, I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon, that they might be, make known to me the interpretation. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and diviners came in, and, related, and I related the dream to them, but they did not know the interpretation. But finally Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belshazzar, listen to this, according to to the name of my God. Nebuchadnezzar is speaking in first person. According to the name of my God, little g. And in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, plural. 
And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen, along with this interpretation. Now, for the sake of time, what would happen if Daniel would have reacted to the heresy hunters and said, you know, I'm not going to embrace all that stuff. Listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to include myself in these conjurers. These magi- no. How many understand, how would heresy hunters deal with Daniel in the 21st century? He's the head of all the magicians, the sorcerers. He's the head, he's in charge of them. He's the chief. His name is not Daniel in Babylon. It's Belshazzar. The king gave him his, the name of his God. He's not thought of as a prophet. I love this story because Daniel won't eat vegetables. <laughs> this is kind of funny. I won't eat vegetables, but you can call me a sorcerer. Oh, he only eats vegetables. What did I say? Won't eat vegetables. Well, the reason I said that, because Paul said, he who eats vegetables only is weak in faith. So I'm thinking, what would have happened if Daniel would have ate steaks? I mean, look what he did on vegetables. God is moving people into the deepest, darkest circles on the planet. I wish I could tell you the stories. I I get to tell some of them privately. I mean, I get to be, not just hear the stories, I get to be a part of stories where in the palaces of kings, some wicked kings, God is hiding his esters in Daniels. This is not, listen, this isn't just about, you know, a 2,500-year-old story. This is what happens when God calls you to serve a wicked king. And you're like, I'm not going in there. And, and then he says, okay, not only are you going to serve the wicked king, but you're going to be part of the psychic team. Yeah, and I'd like your name to be called, I'd like your name to be Moonshine. And Daniel's like, call me whatever you want, but feed me vegetables. I mean, that's a weird non-compromise. I will not eat vegetables. Yes, I'll be the head of the sorcerers. Uh, That's a question I have for him when I get up there. But my point is this. God sent him. I can't work it out. And you know what? If you said, hey, I'm going to be called a sorcerer and I got this job with the psychic hotline, I'd be like, whoa, 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 let's have a conversation. You probably should be doing that too, right? If anybody you're mentoring, you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 time out. I need to hear that. I need to understand what you're doing. But we have, an, we have an example, more than one example. We have many examples where godly women and godly men served ungodly people and helped them to prosper even though they oppressed God's people. And they often were not thought of as prophets or prophetesses or priests or religious people. They're often thought of as prominent people in, in a demonic realm. And they sneak into that realm and like leaven, they're being hid into a dark kingdom. They're being hid in the dark kingdom. Four boys needed into Babylon. 
You can imagine that the religious world of that time, and, and by the way, this is just all my idea, that the religious world of the day, seeing Daniel, Shadrach, and, and Abednego give up their given Jewish names, taking on the names of other gods, being needed into society. You can imagine what some of the priests and the scribes must have been thinking. The rumors that probably perpetuated through the prison camps of Israel as four boys, you know, sat at the king's table under the guise of being sorcerers and feeded for 70 years four kings. But the outcome was that Babylon collapsed under the power of God and Persia released Daniel and all of the Israelites to go back and rebuild the temple. And Daniel influences three of the four kings for the kingdom. This is what happens when you're right with God and you can trust your relationship with God. It doesn't look right on the outside. Here's where I'm going. It doesn't always look pretty on the outside. I watched during the, uh, well, lots of times, even since then, but during the Toronto renewal, I've watched people manifest crazy stuff. And I, and I watched someone right next to him manifest the same crazy stuff. And that thing is a demon and that thing's God. And when you're trying to judge it by the manifestation, hey, was Daniel, was he led by God? Was Aaron and Moses led by God? How about crazy stuff that we like, do you believe in trances? People write me on Facebook. Do you believe in trances? Okay, I know where this is going. Yeah, you know what? Peter had a trance. He fell into trance. He saw vision. Do you remember this? And, and in the vision, a sheet with unclean, animals were in it and he hears a voice he's in a trance he had a vision he hears a voice kill and eat right the result of that is he ends up god said what i and he says i'm no longer he's god he says to god no no i'm not going to eat this stuff son clean he said no longer what i call clean no longer call unclean he figures out through a revelation through revelation, actually through the spirit of revelation, he figures out that that wasn't actually about unclean things. It wasn't just about food. It was actually about Gentiles. He ends up at the Gentiles, Cornelius' house. He leads Cornelius' whole family to the Lord. It's the first real Gentile family that's found the Lord. 10 years later, the Pharisees who have become Christians, they call Peter out in a public meeting and they say, you? spoke to Gentiles. You ate with them. Who gives you permission to be with the unclean people? And Peter begins to recount. He said, I was in a trance. I had this, I heard an audible voice. I saw this vision. You know what happened? The people who knew the Bible and knew God said, oh, you were in a trance? Oh, you had this experience? Oh, God told you this in an audible voice? And what I'm getting at, we often say, oh, don't trust an experience. I'm like, the ex experience is how the Gentiles actually got the gospel. It was experience. They had the Bible. They knew, they knew what the, they had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. But they had a foundation to stand on. But they didn't have experiences to back up what they believed. 
until the Holy Spirit began to move in them in power. And it was in power that the gospel, the foundation of the gospel was born. You can't separate the gospel of power from, from the gospel of salvation. You can't separate the two. The two are the same. It was the gospel of power that got Peter to Cornelius' house so he could speak the gospel of salvation to him. You can't separate the two. And while Peter's speaking, we should go on and remember this. While Peter's speaking, he hasn't even finished preaching. I imagine he had a long message because this is Gentiles. They've never, they don't know a thing about the Bible. And by the way, they're in Corinth, which is Greek mythology. So they wouldn't even know Abraham. They wouldn't know Adam and Eve. They wouldn't know the story of David, Goliath. These are Greek mythologists. You understand that? So he's got a lot to share with them. He's preaching the gospel. It's probably hours long. In the midst of his preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on him. He didn't finish his message. The Holy Spirit goes, oh, that's enough. Whoop. I need to teach them all this before they can know the Lord. Holy Spirit's like, who knows? It might have been an hour, two, three. Holy Spirit, that's enough. Whoo! They start speaking in tongues. And Peter's astounded. So he baptizes them in water. And so later on, when the, when the Pharisees say, well, why did you baptize these people? He goes, well, they're already baptized in the Spirit. I thought, well, if he's baptized in the Spirit, surely he'd want them baptized in water. And here's the response. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Why? Because they had an experience that validated a doctrine. <laughs> Can't separate the power of God, the power of salvation, and the gospel of salvation. Would you stand? We need to close. I want you to put your hand on your heart. And I feel like I'm supposed to recommission you. Like we need to step it up another level. Acts 19 said that Paul did extraordinary miracles. I don't know. I'm still working on the ordinary. I don't even know what extraordinary is. But uh, why don't we just agree, like, hey, let's step it up. Like, when there's resistance, let's just step into the next level and go, hey, we're going we're gonna to see God do extraordinary things. And so, Lord, we just release right now power. You say when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. And Lord, I just pray right now that every single person that's in this room, every person that will listen to this podcast, this, this webcast later, that, as that even as they're listening, that they would suddenly become over, overcome with power. That the Holy Spirit would come upon them powerfully. That people who have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. People who have never had a dream or a vision would suddenly have dreams and visions. People who have never prophesied would begin to prophesy. People that never cast out demons began to cast out demons. And suddenly there would be that, that there would be a people, there would be an army of people that began to destroy the works of the devil. And it would be as it was in the days of Paul. When they said, I, I, I recognize Jesus and I know about this church. <laughs> that we would be famous in heaven and feared in hell. I mean every believer, from the children in children's church. Then they walk in to the public school, demons would be like, whoa, uh-oh. Uh-oh. They would be like Daniel in corrupt systems that began to, brick by brick, begin to pull down those bricks and build something with living stones. 
living stones built up as a spiritual house. Lord, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that you would touch people who even resisted you like you did to Saul of Taurus. That people who resist you, the people that resist the power of God, they'd find themselves speaking in tongues. They'd find themselves having spiritual experiences. They'd be like, I need to go get those crazy Bethel people and figure out what's happening to me. I pray that people that filmed us would come and ask for forgiveness. I bless them in Jesus' name, and I bless you in Jesus' name. Say, I receive that for myself. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast is now being translated in several languages. Visit podcasts.ibethel.org.